we are starting uh, two weeks, um, this week and next, uh, on the book of Proverbs. In fact, this year, uh, one of the things that uh, we wanted to do is to take us through some of the poetic and wisdom literature of the Bible. Now, if you're not familiar, um, there are sections of the Bible that are highly historical. There are sections of the Bible that speaks about law. Um, there are sections of the Bible that are about prophecy. And then there's a New Testament, the story of the, of the early church. And then there's this section in the middle um, that is largely what we call the poetic or wisdom literature. And this covers um, the five books of uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. And this year, I wanted to get all of us as a church to uh, dip our feet into and get our feet wet. Uh, two weeks of Proverbs coming up, then four weeks of Psalms. Uh, then we're going to take a little break um, through the, through the you know, uh, Mother's Day, Father's Day window. We're going to preach about families after that. And then later in the year, we're going to come back for four weeks on Ecclesiastes and two weeks on songs of Song of Solomon, right? Uh, so, so I thought that it's really necessary and really really essential as a church for us to touch every part of the Bible, for us to understand and know how to read every part of our Bible. So even though this year we are in a kingdom series, I thought it was it, it represents a, a, full, a full dietary uh, nutritional uh, intake, right? Is that we are touching every part of our Bible. So as you know, two weeks of Proverbs is hardly going to be enough for us to touch the whole book of Proverbs, you know, um, but don't worry, okay, we did treat this as a primer and just as an introduction to it. Now, uh, today I want to share with you all about Proverbs to show you three things, right? We're going to talk about Proverbs, we're going to talk about wisdom, and we're going to talk about how to pursue godly wisdom, okay? So this, today's sermon is structured around these three things. One is about the book of Proverbs, Two is about wisdom itself. And three is how to pursue godly wisdom. Now, the book of Proverbs, I don't know how you feel about how How many of you, you would rank Proverbs among the books that you love the most and you go to the most? Now, I, I suspect not too many of you, but if you do, can you jump over to the chat? I've got the chat open, okay? Um, now, give me one word to describe how you feel about the book of Proverbs, okay? Just one, everybody give me one word to describe. Now, for me, okay, I, I'll be honest, uh, my one word is avoid, right? Um, for many years, I've avoided uh, uh, really jumping into the Proverbs and, and I am, and, and I kind of get it. And then I kind of don't, you know. Bill says it's inspiring. Uh, Shan Shan says it contains wisdom. Yes, Sam says wisdom. Yanni says it's essential. Now I love what all of you guys are saying, right? Um, and and I think it's it's it is very essential for us to be able to crack the book of Proverbs because it is unlike any other book. It is, yes, it is uplifting, as Anne says, uh, business advice, <laughs> right? Um, it's encouraging, okay? Um, and yes, thank you so, so much for all of uh, uh, um, your thoughts. Now, let's click to the next slide, right? Um, it is very practical, extremely practical. All right. 
We all have, in one way or another, have touched the book of Proverbs. Even if you have not read the book of Proverbs, you have come across it in church, you have heard people say it, you have heard people, some of these expressions that even made its way into English parlance, right? So, for example, let's take a super popular proverb, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. Every single one of us have heard someone in church use this verse. We may not have known it was from the book of Proverbs, but we certainly know it exists somewhere because someone has quoted it about a billion times before, right? Let's look at another famous uh, proverb from 22 uh, 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 6. Train up a child in the way he should go or she should go, right? Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. How many of you have heard this one before, right? Right? I've been told this one before and this is important if you are parenting little children, right? So, Famous, famous proverb. One more. I'll show you one more. Um, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. This has worked its way into English parlance, right? Iron sharpens iron. We use this as an ex to, 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 to illustrate, um, uh, uh, um, you know, people kind of like chiseling away at each other to both get better, right? Um, uh, let's, let's take a look at another famous proverb. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You guys familiar with this? Everybody's favorite proverb. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, actually, I don't think we remember the second, the second line of the couplet. We only remember the first one. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Without looking, would you have known the second line? The second line is, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So you got to finish the whole line, okay? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight, right? Um, one more, one more. Um, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And this one actually has worked its way into English. We say this expression and we've actually compressed it to say pride goes before a fall, right? How many of y'all know aware of this English saying pride goes before a fall? Comes from the Bible, right? It comes from Proverbs 16, 18. Now, we're, we've all touched it. We've all heard it, you know, um, and most of us maybe have had a, have had several goals at reading the Proverbs. Some of us hold on to it all the time and we diligently read the Proverbs. Others, like me in the past, um, have avoided it before, you know, and like don't really know how to, don't really know how to deal with it. So I want to help you to deal, uh, uh, to, to crack Proverbs uh, uh, um, for this season of our lives. Let's go to the next slide. So Proverbs contains 31 chapters okay and out of all the 31 chapters each chapter has like some 30 over 20 over uh proverbs you know verses and proverbs and so there are some 800 ish you know uh proverbs in the whole book of proverbs right there are about 800 uh, lines couplets like that in the whole book of proverbs of course the counting is you know it's uh it depends on how you count some of them right some you you, you might say one proverb some you might say oh no you can you it's split halfway that kind of thing so it's about 800 and all now 31 chapters in the book of proverbs means that a lot of people read the proverbs devotionally with one chapter a day how many of you guys you've done this before i've done this before you read the the book of proverbs one chapter a day because in ngam ngam finish 31 in a month and so you can set aside one month to reading the book of proverbs and you can just go boom 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 every day you read one chapter you know and and that's great i know that many people um are sustained uh, devotionally by reading proverbs that way and i and if you do um I, it's great if you don't i want to encourage you to to 
give it a go at some point in your life, right? Um, and I want to show you the how the book of Proverbs is structured. How is it structured? So you have 31 chapters. Um, chapters 1 to 9 is an opening treatise on wisdom. Okay, it's an opening treatise on wisdom. Chapters 10 to 29 is the whole middle chunk um, of the Proverbs itself. So every time you see um, those two-line Proverbs and all that, those are all the Proverbs of Solomon, chapters 10 to 29. And then right at the end, there is one chapter, Proverbs by a certain King Agur, and then chapter 31 are Proverbs by a certain King Lemuel. Okay, um, so these are presumably historical kings. Uh, one thing about King Lemuel is that there's there is no record of a King Lemuel in, uh, in the nation of Israel, in Judah or Israel. And so it is, some commentators um, think that the name Lemuel um, is, a, is a play on the, on the other name that God gave to Solomon, which is Jedediah, right? Um, and which means beloved of God. And so, and so it's been suggested before that King Lemuel was a, was a kind of like a pet name of Solomon, but that's not that's not substantiated. It's only uh, um, scholars trying to trying to figure out who Lemuel is. But this Proverbs book of Proverbs looks like this. Now, today we are in the first nine chapters. Okay, I'm going to show you through the opening treatise on wisdom, the opening section on wisdom, um, what and how we can step into the book of Proverbs. Now, here are some challenges that you and I may face when reading uh, um, the book of Proverbs. Number one, you might find it challenging because there is no narrative. There is no narrative to hang anything on, okay? So there is no story. There is no, there is no backstory. There is nothing happening. It's not even like Psalms. At least the Psalms have some, you can roughly place like, you can say that, oh, a Psalm of David when he was running away from Saul in the desert. You know, it's like, ah, I know now what was happening. A Psalm of David when he had sinned with Bathsheba. Oh, okay, I, I get it, right? So with the Psalms, you can kind of, place it, at least many of the sounds, you can place it somewhere in the larger, actually, story of what God is doing. With the Proverbs, you don't have that. You know, you just have Solomon, a king, and who, who is known to be, known to be the wisest man who, have, who has ever lived. At least he had the words of wisdom, right? And, and he just gave it and gave it. He wrote like hundreds of songs. He gave thousands of Proverbs and some 800 are in the book of Proverbs, right? Now, another challenge you might experience is that there is no clear arrangement of themes. So if you read one chapter of Proverbs today, right? Um, let's say today is the, what, 18th of March. You're going to read chap Proverbs number, chapter 18. Let's just say, let, you say, I want to do that, you know? Um, and you read Proverbs chapter 18. One proverb is about guarding your tongue. And then another proverb is, uh, the very next one is about uh, working hard. And then the third proverb is about your wife. And then the fourth proverb is about your children. And then the next proverb is about working hard again. And you're like, wow, so many, there's no clear arrangement of themes, okay? There's like, it's like, it's really roja, 
Okay, it's like all the it's like somebody somebody sorted it out, right? And threw it all into a bin, and then you just gowl all the proverbs together, and then you just randomly took them and lined them up one after another. And the book of proverbs is a bit like that, you know. You buy a quote. How many of you have quote books? Books of quotations, right? I've got books of quotations, right? And you usually be a, a title, a, a table of contents, a quotations about, you know, a, um, a political quotes, you know, and then you've got like, you've got all of them, like Obama's quote is there, la, Winston Churchill is there. And then you've got another one, you know, which is like quotes on on whatever, right? And and often, we are our natural impulse is to sort, right? <laughs> A natural impulse is to sort, but this one is like, it's like there's nothing. It's literally like scrolling through your Twitter feed, you know, it's like wow, one thing after another, you know, and you you almost don't know what to cling on to. So you might struggle because there's no clear arrangement of themes. Now, and that leads to the next one. There might be too many different ideas in one chapter. So you read one chapter, there are 30, let's say there are 35 verses. There out of the 35, there might be 30 different ideas. And so it's it it's, might be difficult for you to cling on to one. And for those of you, you read the 30 uh, 31 chapters, you know, one day each. I'm sure uh, one of the things you do is that you let one proverb stick out for you. Right, because that's what I do. When I read a whole chapter of Proverbs, I allow one one proverb to stand out for me, and then I spend the rest of that day, uh, kind of like having, or I spend, let's say, about 15, 20 minutes or something, just journaling about that one proverb and thinking about that one idea, because it's quite literally impossible, um, to to hold everything together. Now, another challenge some of you may feel, um, is that sometimes the proverbs might seem a little oversimplistic because it gives you um, almost, if they sound like, they, they, they sound almost um, formulaic and then sometimes some of the proverbs might leave you um, feeling a little bit like, uh, okay, or like, uh, okay, I got it, or, or Abu Den, you know? Um, so it's a little bit like that. Um, the, we'll actually get to this next week, okay? I'm going to go into all the, the entire middle section of the, of the Proverbs of Solomon next week. But today we want to be in the overview and the opening treatise on wisdom, right? So let's go to the next slide. How do we read the Proverbs? What? Are they, how are we supposed to understand the Proverbs? Now, we understand a little bit about reading Old Testament laws. We know that they point towards Jesus. We know a bit about reading Old Testament prophecy. We know that they are prefiguring and, and looking forward. And, and lastly, we talked about, you know, oh, there are multiple layers of fulfillment of prophecy, that kind of thing. We know about biblical promises, right? That God is promising some things. And, and we know about, and but well, how do we read Proverbs? They are not lost. They are not lost. So I'm going to randomly pick out a proverb in my Bible right now, okay? Um, Proverbs 11, verse 11. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Now, that's not a law, right? It's not a law um, um, that God is giving to us, right? Or for, for that matter... It says here, the righteousness of the blameless keep his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. So it's not a law as if to say, oh, was I righteous? If I wasn't righteous, did I break the law? You know, um, it's not that way. Proverbs are not laws for us to keep. Neither are Proverbs prophecies. 
They are not prophecies telling you about what's coming up in the future or speaking into the today's reality. They are not promises of God. I think this is the most important one for us to know. Proverbs are not promises or formulas that God is giving to tell us that this will saturatos pratos will happen, will come true. 100% guaranteed, this is my promise to you. It is not a promise of God. So what are the Proverbs? The Proverbs are a bit like the general advice that a wise man is giving you for living a good life. They are general advice for living a good life and the Proverbs will generally prove true or ultimately prove true but they are not formulas i know i know people who struggle with reading the proverbs as promises and they get very frustrated when they see some things in life not really panning out that's why it's important for us to know this right um so let me give you an example of what it means it's a general advice it generally proves true. So let me give you an example. Generally, it proves true. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. This is Proverbs 15 verse 1, right? It's a great proverb. And if you spend time thinking and reflecting on it, it's beautiful truth. How many of you, when you've been in, an, in a conflict, when you brought a soft answer instead of going into fight, the atmosphere of the conflict changed. How many of you, you've experienced the person you've been arguing with, suddenly their, their tone is almost like forced to, to, to simmer down because you spoke softly and you spoke gently. And that is true generally. But I know of occasions when I have brought a soft answer in the midst of wrath and the wrath was not turned away and whoever was angry was still extremely angry, you know? Um, and and I, if this was a promise of God, I can say, God, you broke your promise, right? But it's not a promise of God. It is a general advice that generally proves true, okay? Now, some of the Proverbs don't necessarily generally prove true, but they will ultimately prove true, meaning that they may not even prove true now. But ultimately, at the end of all days, this is how it will end. This is how it will pan out. Six verses down from Proverbs 15.1 is 15.6. In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. <laughs> You see a proverb like that and you go, okay, and you reflect on it, good. God is saying that if you earn righteous wealth, there will be much treasure. If you, if you are righteous in the way you go about your work, he will reward you with much treasure. But then uh, the fellow who gets wicked income, wow, there will be trouble upon his income. And you think, is this true? And then you look at, and then you look at Malaysian politics and you say like, wow, Bosco is making a comeback. <laughs> How is it possible? How is it? God, is this for real? Because people who make wicked income, 
they don't seem to have much trouble. In fact, they seem to keep, they, they keep bouncing back, you know, and they keep getting more and more treasure. And then, meanwhile, how many of you know people who, 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 who serve the Lord and are so righteous in the marketplace, they don't take under-table money, uh, they, don't, they don't go and like womanize and drink and gamble and do all that, that networking things, you know, and they struggle. They struggle to, to you know, close deals. They struggle. And then other people, is like they go out, they drink until mad, they karaoke, they have GROs and all that kind of things. And then they keep, you know, <laughs> they keep selling and selling, you know. It's, it's like, what's going on? It ultimately proves true. It may not prove true now. It may be a struggle now. You may be grinding it out now and it may be hard. You may not see the, the fulfillment of the promise, but it will ultimately prove true that the house of righteous will have much treasure and the treasure may not be even the treasures we think of now, but truly those who make wicked income, trouble will befall their income. That's how we read the Proverbs, okay? So we must learn to be able to read and tell apart one proverb from another and to see how they fulfill uh, um, now or later, right? So that's a little bit of, a, of, a, of an introduction into some Bible reading skills, okay? So a little bit of preaching and teaching today, you know, so that we can navigate the proverbs well. Now, let me jump into the next section, right? We've talked about proverbs. Now we're going to talk about wisdom, because some of you, um, you wrote, you typed in just now, what's Proverbs about? How do you feel about Proverbs? And many of you say, it's wise, it's essential wisdom. And it's true. Let me show you. From the moment the book of Proverbs begins, wisdom is the number one most important thing about this book. So let's take a look. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel to know wisdom. It begins with to know wisdom. How many of you, you would like to know wisdom? How many of you know that wisdom and being clever in this world is not the same thing? I've met people who are very clever, but they are not wise. And I'm sure you can all think of someone who is brain smart, but make a lot of really stupid decisions in their lives, right? They're clever. They may be very driven. They may be able to calculate all kinds of things, but there is a lack of wisdom in the way they've ordered their lives. They're constantly jumping from one problem to another. Some of you may know people like that because wisdom and intelligence is not the same thing, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand. So the book of Proverbs is about understanding the words of insight. And that means having a really, really good, um, really, uh, how would you put it? Um, really familiar. You know how uh, a bank teller who touches notes, uh, dollar bills every single day, they really know what the money feels like, such that if you gave an experienced bank teller a counterfeit note, the moment they touch it, the weight, the texture, the fold, the everything, they were like, ah, oh, this is a little off. Let's check this in the machine, right? Um, and that's what it means to know wisdom and understand words of insight that you are 
familiar. You have touched the things of God. You know and understand the mind of God to such an intimate extent that the moment you touch the counterfeit, you feel it. You know something's amiss. That's what Proverbs is about, right? To receive instruction in wise dealing in, ah, now here's very important. I didn't highlight it, but you have to see this. Righteousness, justice, and equity, okay? And then to give prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion, right? So you see all these words, it's like a, a thesaurus, right? They're all saying the same thing. Now, it's important to know this, to receive uh, um, and to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. Now, if you, how many of you, you think about wisdom as just being kind of like having a, a, a street smartness? So there's a smartness, right? A street smartness. Yes? Yep, wisdom is a little bit like that. But when you look at godly wisdom in the book of Proverbs, it is not just about street smartness. There is a moral component to it. So wisdom in the book of Proverbs is never just about being savvy. Wisdom in the book of Proverbs is about being savvy and moral. That's why it says here in verse 3, in righteousness, in justice and in equity. There is no wisdom before God if you say, I'm smart, but I use it for selfish gain. I'm smart, but I use it to cheat people, you know, um, uh, something like that. So let's look at the next slide. Wisdom. This word wisdom, uh, the original Hebrew word literally means skill. It means skill. And what kind of skill? It's not a skill for us to do things. It's skill to live a good life. Right, skill to live a good life. It's literally kemahiran hidup, right? If you guys are from my generation in school, it's literally kemahiran hidup, right? Uh, skill for a good life. It's God's wisdom, not just wisdom to do to to be clever with how to you know fudge your books or or you know <laughs> cheat or whatever it is. There's always a moral component to the wisdom of God in the book of of Proverbs, and it's always contrasted against folly. Right, um, the opposite of wisdom in especially you see a lot in the throughout the first nine chapters is folly. The, the opposite is folly, and it is akin to following Jesus. Now I want to get to that in a moment, but I want to share with you that this week, just this past week, I was reading one of the kids' books. Um, um, and we and we got this book about Sankanchil, right? Um, so so Malaysian uh, folk stories. And you know the Sankanchil is supposed to be the wisest animal in Malaysian folklore, right? The wisest animal in the jungle. And so I was reading this story about Sankanchil uh, to my youngest. And Sankanchil one day falls into a well, a deep well. And then Sankanchil don't know what to do. So he thought, oh, I'm in trouble. Then he starts to he starts to sing. He sings a song and then tiger comes and then Sankanchil tells tiger, tiger, don't you know um, that the sky is falling, you know, and you got to hide somewhere, you know, I'm hiding here. Tiger goes like, really? Oh no, um, can I join you? Sankanchil says, no, cannot, there's not enough space for the two of us. And after a long kind of like discussion, Sankanchil says, okay, tiger, you can come in, you know, so tiger jumps in. 
And then this repeats many rounds until uh, Badak joins in, until Elephant jumps in, until uh, all the other animals jump into the well, you know. Um, and then Sangkanchil, being the smart aleck that he is, hops on top of all of them one by one and then jumps out of the well and goes, ha ha, bye-bye, see you guys, and then and goes away. <laughs> and I was reading that going like, what? <laughs> What's this? You're a real nasty fella. You sunk and chill. I didn't realize you were such a bad guy, right? That's not godly wisdom. Sankanchil may be smart, but he can be quite a character, right? Now, when God calls us into wisdom, he doesn't call us into that kind of wisdom. Okay, so the even the wisdoms of the world, you know, the 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 wise heroes of our folklore, um, do not stand in the same bracket or category as the wisdom that God speaks of here. Now, I want us to see this: that in all this, there is an invitation. Wisdom invites you. Wisdom invites you to follow. And as we see wisdom inviting you to follow, I want you to see shades of Jesus inviting you to follow. Let me say that one more time. As you go through the book of Proverbs, you are going to see wisdom personified as a woman and saying, come, come, because here are treasures. And wisdom is going to say, this is the path to life. And when you see verses like that, you must see Jesus standing at the shore saying to Peter, Andrew, James, and John, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. You must be able to see Jesus telling his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Because all of the wisdom of God in the book of Proverbs is a prefiguring. It's a, it's a picture of the wisdom, the power, and the life of King Jesus. All of the wisdom in the book of Proverbs points you to Jesus. In fact, there is a section in um, Proverbs chapter 3, if I'm not mistaken, that says that, that, G, that wisdom was there from the beginning. From the beginning, I don't think it's 3, it's... um. Um, it's an eight, right? Proverbs chapter eight. It says here, it's not on the slides. I'm just going to read it. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, at the first of his acts of old. And then it says, when he established the heavens, I was there. That's wisdom saying, when God established the heavens, I was there. Pre-existent. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Pre-existent. Who is wisdom? Wisdom is Christ. Wisdom is Christ. The word that creates. He was there from the time the Father created the world. So the wisdom that we are going to be diving into is Christ himself. Okay, It's akin to following Jesus. Amen? All right? Are we good? Are we good? Okay, let's move on, right? Wisdom gives an invitation. Okay, now verse from as early as chapter 1, verse 20, right? Wisdom cries out aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. So she's personified as a woman, okay? But this is just a literary device. She raises her voice. How long, oh simple ones, will you love being simple? I'm going to pause that. You see the word simple? The word simple here does not mean minimalistic. It does not mean I live a, 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 an uncluttered life. It does not mean uncluttered, uh, decluttered, you know. It means naive, 
Okay. Um, and then you will see elsewhere the word simpleton. Okay. A simpleton does not mean just someone from the kampong who isn't exposed um, to, the, to the city life. And it's not as simple as that. Not as simple as that. It's not as... <laughs> It's not as literal as that, right? Simple here means naive. And it's trying to say, how long will you naive people love remaining sheltered, naive, and unaware of what's going on in the world? It's as if to say, do you not know the ways of the world? Do you not understand how the world works? That the world is brutal. The world is cruel. The world has people who will desire to cheat you. The world has people who are, who, who, who are, who are out there to, to, to do harm, but there are also good people and you need to learn to discern between the two. You, know, you need to have wisdom to, able, to be able to work well. You know, not just work hard, but to work smart, to not just manage your home, you know, uh, um, um, blowing a lot of energy, but to manage it with wisdom. How long, oh simple ones, oh naive ones, will you love remaining naive? That's essentially what this proverb is saying, right? It's an invitation, right? And then now I want to show you how wisdom is personified as a woman. Now, I told you wisdom is essentially following Jesus, right? It's personified here as a woman. And I tell you why. It's because most of the Proverbs in this book are spoken by a father to his son. So it's King Solomon telling his son. We don't know which son of King Solomon, maybe all his sons, maybe he gathered his sons, you know, um, there will have to be very many sons there. Um, but, but King Solomon essentially telling his son and not just his son, but eventually these proverbs um, go out of his palace and everyone knows them, you know, but it is phrased often with a woman as the personification of wisdom. Um, maybe because it's just an easier way. It's, it's how people used to communicate. So let's look. Let's look at the next slide. Solomon to his son. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. So wisdom is like a woman who has prepared a feast. She's prepared a dinner, right? And she's prepared a dinner with wine, with meat, and she set the table. She has sent out her young women to call. I've highlighted that in yellow, okay? So you remember it. She sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple, naive, right? Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. This is how wisdom, the righteous woman personified, gives out her invitation to all of us. It's very much like, like I said just now, Jesus saying, I'm the bread of life. Come, anyone who follows me shall no longer hunger, right? But shall have the light of, but, 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 shall, but shall be satisfied, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. I want you to be able to see shades of Jesus every time you see the Proverbs. So this is wisdom, personified as a righteous woman throwing a dinner party and inviting everyone in. Now, I want to show you the contrast of wisdom. It's folly. Folly is also personified as a woman. 
funnily enough, right? Um, and it goes like this. Now, I read this as a young man um, and it gave me the chills. I tell you, um, Proverbs chapter 7 made me shudder. It sent a, a tingling, uh, a cold chill down my spine the way it was written. So let me read it out for you, okay? Very similar. Let's look. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice and I have seen among the simple, the naive, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. Passing along the street near her corner, her, who is this her? Taking the road to her house, folly, eh? to her folly's house, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market. And at every corner, she lies in wait. Next slide. She seizes him, kisses him. With bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices. And today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly. And I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us take, fill, take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. Meaning he was not coming home tonight. You can come stay in my house tonight. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O oh sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, that is to hell, going down to the chambers of death. Wow. As a young man, I read this. <sighs> scared, right? So scared, right? Um, but as we read this, I want you to know that it is not just a father's advice to a son to stay away from adultery and sexual sin. It's not just that. It's speaking about the way folly, which is the opposite of nature, the way wickedness, evil, deviousness comes to lure you in. So it's not just about seduction and sexual sin. It's about any kind of sin. Any and almost every kind of sin will work this way. And so the father is preparing the son to say, don't go down all these seductive paths, whether the seduction is money or whether the seduction is glory or whether the seduction is gold, right? Um, be careful. Be careful because they all operate in pretty much the same way. And if you have read C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, you will know they all operate pretty much the same way. Now let's take a look, right, at wisdom versus folly, which is the heart of today's sermon. 
both wisdom and folly are personified as women. Yes, we know that. Both of them are preparing their homes. Wisdom is preparing her table for a dinner guest, right? We all saw that. But folly is preparing her bed for a lover. She's, she's thrown out the aloes and the mirror and the cinnamon and she's like all the scented candles and the dim lights and it's all there, right? Um, but both of them are preparing their homes for their guests. And that's really where um, the similarities end. Wisdom gives an open invitation calling everyone to come in, right? Goes to the top, highest part of the town, calls out to everybody, everybody who lacks sense, come in and have your feast. Folly invites through lying in wait for the lonely and isolated individuals. You saw that? I saw from my lattice, one single young man straying near her house looking for an opportunity and she to come him right there, right? Wisdom operates in the open through her young women. Remember we saw that? She sends out all her young women uh, to go out calling and calling, right? She operates in the open. Folly operates in secrecy, in the absence of her husband. I have an opportunity now. I can act secretly now. I can, be, I can conceal what's happening because my husband's not at home. He only comes back when it's full moon, right? So now I can work. That's how folly works. And wisdom gives an uninvasive uncoercive, non-manipulative invitation. You notice from the invitation that the young women gave out, right? Anyone who lacks sense, come. There is no manipulation. If you want to say no, you can. You notice that? If you want to say not now, you can. They don't press you. Wisdom does not press you. Wisdom does not um, guilt trip you. Wisdom does not uh, uh, um, make you feel small or make you feel um, burdened by saying no. It's an uninvasive, uncoercive, non-manipulative invitation. Folly, however. Wow, when I read how folly hooked that man in, <laughs> it's such a perfect blend of sweet seduction and a sudden overture. And the sudden overture can be very, very, you know, um, um, intense. You know, she sees him and kissed him. And after that, you know, pujo, 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 you know. I want to say something about these two methods of working. I'm a pastor. We run a church. And often, as pastors, we'll be calling you guys in uh, to do things, right? Um, to serve, to contribute, to help out and all that. Sometimes we can be prone um, to mm, using play the God card, you know, play the, play the, the uh, uh, don't you love the Lord? If you love the Lord, you will come and help out, you know? Um, sometimes we do these things, you know, and, and, and I don't like it when, whenever I see myself uh, um, drawn to that kind of, to that kind of persuasion, because that's not, I don't see God persuading people that way. I don't. And when I read the Bible, he doesn't, he doesn't try to, to, to layer it with like guilt trip and like, oh, you know, um, if, you, if you really, how many of you, you want to give your best to the Lord? You know, if you want to give your best to the Lord, join our serving team. Like, wow, say until like that, how to, how to, say, how to say no, right? Um, you know what? God doesn't speak like that. 
he doesn't layer um, his invitations with guilt, with um, with shame, uh, with with making you feel bad, um, and all that. He doesn't manipulate. He doesn't. God does not use manipulative language to hook you in. He doesn't coerce. He doesn't badger you. If you say no, he says okay. Rich young ruler said no to Jesus. Jesus said okay, okay, suit yourself, right? It's, it's how, that's, that's your choice. You move along. And then the Lord felt sad when the rich young ruler moved away. But he didn't like coerce him. You know, um, I've done that. I've done that before. I, I have tried to, to, to encourage people to join church, join this, join that. And I've done, uh, I'm embarrassed by how some, some of the way I invited people to church before. It's like, oh, yo, Fergus, why are you like that? So desperate, macham. So, so, and then you pull out every last manipulative language. Nah, I regret all that. You know, like I wish I, 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 I wish I never did. And I, and, I, and I hope I never do in the future. That's not how the way of, how God invites you. But I also want to say something about the way folly draws you in. If you read accounts of people who will suffer abuse, who grew up in abusive homes, um, you are likely to come across stories where the abuser, usually some parent, parental figure, uh, sometimes it's a coach um, in a sporting team, sometimes it's an older guardian, or, or often it will be like that. Um, there will be a mixture of very harsh treatment, very harsh treatment, um, almost borderline abusive, right? And, and just like that, flip, super sweet, super nice. Oh, you're like the best, you know. You're like so good. Oh, come on, baby girl. You are so good. Don't you know daddy loves you? Come on, don't you know that? And then uh, suddenly it can flip, like, like, but you stay here. You stay here. You don't you dare. Don't you ever dare leave her. Don't you ever dare let me catch you talking to this person. It'll be over for you. And like, and... And when you read accounts of people who grew up in a traumatic, abuse, safe environments, right, you will find that this kind of very extreme treatments of, of really lavish love um, um, and super harsh treatment makes the recipient feel very uncertain and unsure. They never know what kind of, say, father is going to show up. Will I get angry father today? Or will I get loving father today? And that makes them extremely insecure, right? And when they're insecure, they will naturally do their best. They will be at their best behavior because they're always hoping for, 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 for nice, loving father to show up, not crazy, angry, threatening father to show up, right? And that is classic, classic abuse manipulation technique. Classic abuse manipulation technique. You see it in some bosses. They will praise you to the high heavens and then absolutely tear you to shreds the next moment, right? Um, you see it in parents. You see it in pastors. You see it in bosses. You see it in coaches. You see it everywhere where you can find um, um, sinful leadership. You see strands of this. Be very careful because the Bible has already taught you be careful of the one who seduces you and then seizes you. Be very careful. That is not the way of God. That's the way of folly. Stay far from that, right? And I, and I feel that it's responsible for me to say that if you, if, if you do have relationship with someone um, who treated you that way, if you, um, if you grew up with parents or teachers or coaches who were like that, um, 
maybe at the end of this service, you, we can pray together, right? You can you can type in pray later, and it will pray. Someone will pray with you um, to start the journey of being released from that kind of manipulation and and trauma and abuse, right? Um, if you currently are working under a boss who is like that, buddy, prepare to get your way out of there because it's a very unhealthy, toxic environment. Uh, if you find that you sometimes uh, yield to that kind of leadership styles to get what you want from your subordinates, from your children, from your students or whatever it is, um, be very careful, my friend. Um, that is the way of folly. Uh, there is room to turn. There's room to turn, turn away today, you know, and, and look at how God invites. Look at how God leads. It's always uninvasive, uncoercive, non-manipulative, right? On that note, I want to show you the next slide. So happens that wisdom and folly, as I should chat with you just now, is personified as a righteous woman versus a sinful woman. Um, you see uh, shades of the, the righteous woman coming up in chapter one. You see in green, chapter one, chapter three, chapter eight, and the first half of chapter nine. Um, you see wisdom personified as a righteous woman. Uh, with folly personified as a uh, as a sinful woman, you see her, her in chapter two, chapter five, seven, and the second half of chapter nine. And then if you go through all of um, Solomon's uh, um, Proverbs, you will reach the end. And I think many men's favorite chapter of the Bible is as, um, <laughs> Proverbs chapter 31, because Proverbs 31 describes the Proverbs 31 woman, the woman who fears the Lord, right? Um, and, and again, it's almost like a bookend of wisdom as a woman and the Proverbs 31 woman, you know? So I wanted to point that out so you can see it. Now, here's the thing about the Proverbs 31 woman. The Proverbs 31 woman is about a woman who fears a lot. And I know a lot of men hold this as a gold standard for the women they want to marry, for their girlfriends, and for their wives to act in such a manner. Now, Proverbs 31 is framed as a woman. Wisdom, again, framed here as a woman. Probably very similarly to why... It's, it's, it's a woman elsewhere. It's because it's framed as a father describing to his son what he should aspire for. But I just want to bring a bit of balance because I want to challenge you. All the men who read Proverbs 31 and say, I want a woman like this. I want to challenge you. Read Proverbs 31 as a girl looking for a Proverbs 31 man. Try that. Read Proverbs 31 as a girl hoping and wishing that her husband was a Proverbs 31 man. And then you just try to flip everything, right? I know we are, we, we, we are doing a little exercise here. I'm going to show you. An excellent husband who can find. He is far more precious than jewels. Are you that kind of husband? He does her good and not harm. That's biblical. You do good, you don't do harm. That's absolutely biblical. All the days of his life, he seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Husbands better be like that, right? He is like the ships of the merchant. He brings her food from afar. Go through the whole of Proverbs 31. Read it as a man about a woman. Read it as a woman about a man. And I hope that you can come out of this to see that Proverbs 31 is not just about a woman. Proverbs 31 is about a person who fears the Lord. 
it's about a person who fears the Lord. And if you're a man, and you've always seen that as a chapter of the gold standard of a woman you want, make sure that you are also the gold standard of a Proverbs 31 man. If ever Proverbs 31 was held against a man, you would be that kind of man, right? And the same applies for the women, right? So, so, so I just wanted us to have a bit of balance when looking at that, right? It's not one-sided. Now, I said, Proverbs 31 is about a person who fears a lot. And on this note, I will end. Just going to show one last slide and then we'll end. We talked about Proverbs. We talked about wisdom. And now we're going to talk about how to pursue godly wisdom. Let's look. Three verses. Famous verses, right? The last one is the famous one. Proverbs 1 verse 7, the fear of Yahweh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I expressed it here as Yahweh uh, for two reasons. One is that it is how the Hebrew is expressed, the fear of Yahweh, right? Uh, it's more faithful. And secondly, when you, when you use a name, it's always more personal. Definitely always feels more personal. The fear of, the fear of your father is always more distant than your fear of Papa, right? So the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of Yahweh is the hatred of evil. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. Now, if you look at the middle one, we can look at this next week, right? The fear of Yahweh is the hatred of evil. There is actually a section where God says, six things I hate, seven things that are abominable, right? I hate all these evil things. And he lists them out. We don't look at that today. Don't worry about that. But it's in Proverbs 6. Go look at that. But the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of both knowledge and wisdom. If you want to go on the path towards knowledge, and it's not just intelligence knowledge, this is knowing God, knowing God's mind, knowing God's heart, knowing God's passion, knowing God's motives, knowing God's desires, which is the same in many ways as beginning wisdom, living a life of wise decisions. How do you start? You start by fearing the Lord. Start by fearing the Lord. Now, I've heard people water this down and say that the fear here is not fear. It is just reverence, you know? Um, no. No. If you look at the Hebrew, it describes the word. The word fear here has a range that includes terror, absolutely frightened, you know? Um, full of fear and reverence and awe, it's, I believe, all of those things. And you say, Pastor, how can be so scared of God, you know? And I'll say this to you. How many of you are scared of ghosts? How many of you are scared of death? How many of you are scared of wild beasts? Like if like a real living tiger was like in your garden right now, you would freak out. Snake, scale snakes, scale dogs, scale spiders, right? We all have our fears. Scale heights. We all have our fears. You know what? I believe that the first and most important fear, the OG of fears, the original fear, is the fear of the Lord. And you remember when Jesus calmed the storm, he spoke to the winds. He said, Be still, be quiet, and everything became quiet. And you know what? The disciples said they were in fear. That fear, I've told you all before, is phobos, where we get the word phobia. They were scared. You want to know why they're scared? Because they realized, I'm in a boat with this man, and this guy is not a man. 
and I don't know how to deal with the fact that I'm in a boat with what looks like a man, but he's not a normal man. It's scary. When God shows up, you should be in utter fear. It's original fear. It's true good fear. Anything else is a varying degree of a counterfeit of that fear. Fear of heights is a variance away from the original, which is the fear of God. Fear of death, fear of spiders, fear of ghosts, whatever you want to call it. All of these things are varying degrees of departure from the original fear. I believe that it is right and fair to be absolutely in awe and fear, even trembling. That's where we get the expression, fear and trembling. And you know why? When we don't have a fear of God, we think we can do anything we like. And that's why men cheat on their wives. That's why men send dodgy texts to women who are not their wives, right? That's why people embezzle and steal a bit of money. That's why people tell lies in public to cover up for things happening in private. That's why we do all kinds of things that if you look at the evil that God hates, you see that we, we, we violate all those things all the time. Why? No fear of the Lord. No fear of the Lord. And the way of the wise begins with fearing the Lord. How are you going to be wise? How are you going to walk on the straight and narrow if there is no fear of the Lord in your heart? Cannot. It doesn't even start. Your journey doesn't even begin. And so, my friends, I want to invite you into the fear of the Lord. Church, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. If you are longing to fear the Lord more, you say, God, I want to be on this path of wisdom. I want you to type pray into the Zoom chat and someone will break out into a room with you. But I want to open up another group. I will reach out to another group among you. If you are currently under the authority of a boss, a senior, or someone whom you feel has no fear of the Lord. They may be Christian, they may be not Christian, but they have no fear of God. They act like they are the king, that they are the Lord, they are the master of the world. They can do anything and get away with it. And you say, Lord, I want a way out. I want you to type pray. And someone will break out into a room with you and will pray with you and help. And, and, and seek the Lord for help to find a way out of this toxic environment. Third group. If you've experienced trauma in the past, if you have lived under abusive leadership, abusive parenting, abusive coaching, abusive teaching, and that has caused you to be, a, be an insecure person, and you want to be set free from that today, I want you to type pray and someone will pray with you. Someone will break out into a room with you and minister to you. And by the power of the Lord, the wise one, King Jesus himself, will break every chain and set you free from every devious and, and manipulative way of folly. It will come, the Lord will come and set you free. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for this time. Father, we thank you, Lord, 
We surrender our hearts before you. Lead us, Lord God, on the path to wisdom. Lead us on the path to life. Lead us on the path towards Christ. And we pray, Father God, for every single one of our church family, that we will stand firm, we will walk straight, and you'll yes, put Lord. inside us the fear of the Lord. That we will recognize that we will stand before the Lord one day and give an account. Yes, Lord Jesus. And Father, truly, Lord, teach us to fear you. And in so doing, teach us to walk right. And then to love you, to love you wholeheartedly. So, Father, we thank you. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his countenance toward you and give you shalom. And all of God's people, shout aloud, Amen. Amen. Amen.